Hey everyone, welcome to the Labors of Love podcast. For today's episode, we're going back to one of our favorites from season one. Check it out. Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. On this episode of the LOL Pod, my guest, John Orr, and I discuss mindfulness, kindness, and discovering the freedom within. You're going to love it. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. It's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I am extremely excited about today's episode with my guest and dear friend, John Orr, who is the founder of Kindly Said LLC. Welcome, John. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm super excited. So I'm going to start with you like I start with all of my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Oh, wait, I have to talk about myself. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He didn't get the memo. (laughs) Oh, okay. No, uh, my labor of love really is helping people to find freedom within themselves. It's something that I, I know is there. It's actually fundamental to who we are. And I think it just gets obscured and it's a beautiful gift to be able to help people find that. So you just said a mouthful in just a few words, and I am really looking forward to diving into the various ways that you help people find the freedom within themselves. But I want to start with like, tell us a little bit about the how and the why, where is this rooted for you? Like when you say, this is what I'm committed to. How did that come about? Well, um, you know, it was sad news for me, but at some point I learned that I was not perfect. And as I reconciled that that reality in my life, um, you know, I had to do some work. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I don't know if people know this about me, but there was a time where I, you know, I was trying to solve a lot of my problems through escapism. And a lot of that escapism was substance driven. And it, it actually put me in a pretty tough spot. And, you know, I've been in recovery. I've been sober for 17 years. So congratulations, friend. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So um, it it was not an exciting journey to get there. You know, as as they say, in in the recovery world, no one got there on a winning streak. And that was true for me. Uh, But as soon as you get to recovery, there's a sense that I've got to do some more work, I, I can't run from these things. And as I did, you know, I had to face some stuff that was not that great. It was all the stuff that I had been running from. And, you know, through certain models, I was introduced to this idea that, you know, like, let's actually look at it honestly and discuss it with someone. And that was really one of the first openings for me that allowed me to go closer to the things that were scary. And and that's, a, that's like, counterintuitive, I think. And it's pretty core to the work that I do everywhere is that can we get closer to these things that scare us? I love that. Not only is it kind of counterintuitive to our very human, human nature, but we are definitely, I believe, culturalized and socialized away from that idea. So when something is scary or big or overwhelming, we are taught often, many of us, to retreat or withdraw or turn away from. 
that idea. So when we're working with people saying, get closer to the fire that can burn you, <laughs> you know, it's like the closer you get, the more heat. Now, interestingly, the closer you get, it's more light. But sometimes we don't see the light in it. We feel the heat and it's like, no, 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 I'm not trying to do that. Uh, absolutely not. No, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like human beings, like we go toward pleasure, we go away from pain. And, you know, so this idea of like going toward like those scary places, like it's like, how can I go in the fire and not be burned? And, you know, like to some degree, I mean, we're all cooked on some level as we go through those things. But, you know, the end result is the beautiful dessert. You know, that they're, they're, they're <laughs> But there's there's something good on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that so much. So let's let's come present for a second and tell us a little bit about how um, this passion of yours is showing up in the present. When you are helping, assuring, sharpening, whatever word you want to use, people towards that freedom. What does that look like in a in an everyday context? Well, I think for one thing, it's honest conversations, authentic conversations, and, you know, being able to share those things, but it's also about being able to attune and resonate with people. And this is something I think that you may know about, you know, being a clinician, is this idea that sometimes, you know, we're picking up on messages that are coming, you know, to us that aren't always verbal, you know, that you know, there's a sense of something. And if we can learn to trust that, that can be a doorway to saying, well, well, let's look at this. And some of the big barriers that I think people run into is, you know, a desire to be okay. You know, that they, it's a conceptual desire to be okay, that, uh, you know, we want to kind of convince people, like, we want to in, insert an idea of ourselves in the minds of others that we are okay. When ironically, that idea is so that we can think that others believe we're okay. So it, again, it comes uh-huh. back to the person and, you know, to, to actually look at these things and say, you know what, like, I, I'm not perfect. And, and, you know, the only label that really makes sense is that I'm, I'm a human being, but as humans try to understand their lives, you know, we often want to live in the story. You know, and the story is is like the billboard, you know, that represents the product. It's not it's not who we are. It's an expression of everything that's going on. And you know, when we live in that story, you know, we can be desperate to try to hold on to something that is actually something that's changing all the time. And you know, to help people to realize that we're more a process that's always playing out than we are anything that's really like, oh, I am firmly this, you know, there are certain identities that are, you know, are close to us, you know, that I'm sure that we hang on to, but this, we're more of a verb than we are a noun. And helping people. I'm gonna need you to say that. I like that. So I I mean, you know, say that again. I, I, I want people to know that that's, I like that, John. Yeah. So we're more a verb than we are a noun, you know, and, and this idea that, you know, like, I, I mean, back, so we haven't stated it on the show, but, you know, obviously you and I both know that we work together at some point mm-hmm. and, uh, and that was a journey for, for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while my part of that journey, you know, I became a therapist and, you know, to give you an example of this, I was 
pretty desperate at that time to get affirmation that I was a good therapist. Like, like I would, man, I was eager, eager, eager. And one day it finally came. Somebody was like, John, you are a good therapist. And I, you know, my hands went up. I was so happy. Like it was like, finally. And the next day I did the dumbest thing possible. I only remember what it was, but I just remember it being so dumb. And I thought, if I'm a good therapist, how can I do this? And that actually opened a door to me questioning like these whole all, the whole story of all of it and how I'm trying to cling to a concept, never asking who is it that's trying to cling? And I, you know, th that became a, a really big inquiry for me. I don't know. I, I feel like, are y'all, are my listeners understanding this deepness? Like, I, I, okay, so I love it. So many things just want to touch upon um, that you said. And it is that idea of verb instead of noun. And I think about how many of us really are searching for a destination. The destination is in front of us somewhere. Sometimes the destination is behind us, actually. We are, we are searching, we're, we're endeavoring towards this destination. And if we arrive, if we feel we arrive at said destination, I feel like that experience that you shared is so it. You're like, I'm here. And then the next day, oh, okay, <laughs> right? So here, but it, it is definitely a journey. And we never stop journeying until we're no longer alive. But we, we wanna say like, if I get to this destination, then the journey stops. And, and that's, that's not in fact how it goes. Um, and wanting to, yes, clarify a little bit. So John and I go way back um, to 2007 wow. is when we met. So we're talking about going on 14 years here. And uh, I had started a job where John already worked. And John and I had some amazing times. I need to tell y'all, one of the funniest human beings I've ever met, but a funny human being who's not trying to be funny. Those are the best, right? Like, I don't know that John would ever go and stand up on a stage and try to do like stand up or try to be funny, but he's just so funny. And, um, you know, I'm gonna, in the midst of some of this, try to drop some of my favorite John and I moments. Um, but one of them that comes to mind when he says, while we were working together, he was in the process of becoming a therapist, right? So while he's becoming a therapist, he still has a role, a job, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not a therapist. And I was working, I think, in a case management capacity. And these two roles required us both to attend court. I don't remember why we were attending court or with whom, but the, the, the thing is, we were accustomed, we worked with youth. So we were accustomed to going to juvenile court, which is a whole different set of experiences, right? You have your own little courtroom and a magistrate and all your business is contained. But to that day, we were at big people's court. <laughs> <laughs> so we're there. And the thing is, like, you don't get this set time. You know, everyone comes at whatever, 9 a.m. and you're just kind of sitting there. So um, I don't know exactly what stage of school, grad school you were in, but whatever it was, you were studying the DSM. I don't even think we're at five, the DSM-4 TR or whatever. That was it, yeah. That was it. <laughs> and so <clears throat> we're sitting there, we're just talking. And so you have this DSM and maybe I was quizzing you, whatever it was, helping you study. This lady is in the courtroom 
I remember this lady. I remember what she looks like. She was wearing a purple like jogging suit, uh, sweatsuit, and she was talking louder than other people were talking, which means like a lot of attention was going to her. <clears throat> and she went on this kind of, the best I can describe it is stream of consciousness experience where she went from one thing to the other. And I remember her seeing a woman's lipstick and saying she liked her lipstick. And then that went to something else. All I know is it culminated in her singing, yes, purple rain, purple rain. And she just started singing purple rain. And we were all like, okay. So it it was, it is one of, it's definitely top five John or moments. And anytime I hear purple rain, I try to make it a point to reach out to John and say, how you doing? I'm thinking of you. I heard Purple Rain, Purple Rain, when Prince died. I remember reaching out to John. Yeah. Like this, these are this has united us on some way. Do you remember that experience any differently than I do? Listen, I I hundred percent remember that experience. That song was never the same for me after that. You know, like that. Like I have a new video for it. I, I'm uh -huh. not even sure what the Prince video looks like. I just have a memory of us sitting there, like, oh my gosh. Uh -huh. This is happening. This is like happening. This, this is happening in front of us, and like in the courthouse in Hamilton County. Yeah, and I mean, it was just like this is. It, it was that moment that you and I both were sharing, and I think that that was like some of like the the greatest part of it. You know? Absolutely, like we have this shared experience that no one can take away from us, and it was, it was real and in living color. Like it was just that moment <laughs> of like the purple is the color. It was like this is happening. And, and I mean, yeah, so it was, it was pretty awesome, but thank you. I just wanted to throw that experience in, but yeah, this, um, we are constantly evolving, constantly becoming or not becoming, I believe. And so that is a very uh, organic and movement driven experience, which I would love to segue into then this idea of stillness. Mm. slowing down and all of these things that uh, don't naturally necessarily come with the journey, but are very vital in the journey. So talk to us a little bit. Well, I, yeah, I, I've been, I guess my, my experience with stillness comes from meditation and I started meditating in 2002 so, you know, I'm going on a couple years now uh, having experience <laughs> with meditation and this idea of stillness is something that uh, at first it, it was really hard for me, you know, that the idea of it, there was so much momentum going on, you know, so much like condition momentum, emotional momentum that, you know, turning towards stillness at first was unsettling. And I, you know, it took me a while. Like I remember trying to meditate. I would sit I sat on this meditation cushion at the Dharma Center over in Northside in Cincinnati. And I thought I was going to spontaneously combust. Like I really felt like I was going to explode. And then I was like, and that would be such a mess. And everybody would be so disappointed. I was so caught up in my head about it. Right. And that's literally where I was. But now where stillness is for me is actually like it's fundamental. And and here's the thing, like with, with mindfulness and, and everything, you know, we take time to notice these things, notice our experiences, notice our thoughts, notice our emotions. And I think it's really crucial that we notice who the noticer is, you know, and, and that's something that 
I think in a lot of times in, in modern mindfulness, we don't talk about that so much, but the, the noticer is awareness and awareness is naturally still. And to give an example of this, because it, I'm just throwing it out there very conceptually and people be like, what are you talking about? Uh, you look at, you're a mother, a proud mother from everything that I've gathered, you know, I love your kids. And there's a point where kids have not learned language, yet they're still very present. They're, they're there and they're responding to the world. And, you know, their emotions come and they go. And so that is an awareness that's there that's fundamental as we go on, we teach our kids to learn language, right? And as that like progresses and we keep saying, you know, how do you feel about this? What's your story? We start to relate primarily through that language and we lose sight of the awareness and it almost merges with the story. So stillness and, and mindfulness and all that, it, it's about stepping back and seeing what's actually here in the moment. And, you know, some of the best ways to do that, I, I think, are actually getting in touch with what's in your body. I, are, is, that, is that in line with what, what you're thinking? Yes. Yeah, Hello, yeah. is everything. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, you know, I, I talk about this as much as I can. I weave it in wherever I can, but that's exactly it. Um, so I will say that mindfulness, the, that term, you introduced that term to me. Um, I don't remember what year it was back when, you know, we were still working together and you were doing just some like introductory mindfulness experiences for people who worked there. And I came mainly because I wanted to support you, not necessarily because I was sold on this idea or had any idea of what it was. And there were some very... I still to this day, like I see the circle, I see who I was sitting with, I see you, we're in the P house, which who knows what they call that now, but that's where we were, right? Um, and not like P urine, but anyway, I, I realized without context that probably sounded something different. <laughs> but we're sitting there and there are some, some things, even though I wouldn't go on to practice this until much later, that always stuck with me, that you we're emphasizing that our observation, our, our just observing what's happening right now, doing it non-judgmentally. And so that was something you emphasized. And you also emphasize that it, it, it's a practice, that you wouldn't get it right. And then at some point while you're doing this, your mind will wander and just gently bring it back. There was something so invitational about this mindfulness experience that didn't feel forced or wrong. And that even if my own personal narrative would go into, I gotta do it perfect or don't do it all, I realized that that wasn't coming from you. That wasn't coming from the practice. That was my own narrative. So fast forward many years and I get reintroduced to it. And I find that how did I, not that I'm perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination, but how did I manage life without this is a question I ask all the time without a very present awareness. And I know how, how I managed is I spent almost all of my time. And I'm talking up to like 99.7% of my time, either in the future or in the past. Yeah, I was thinking about things that had happened 
and, and how it impacted me and for fast forwarding to the future of how to make sure it doesn't happen again or change my life differently. And it wasn't until like in 2008, I very specifically remember having a mantra that I used all year long, which was be in the now. And I still wasn't equating this to mindfulness, mind you. I just was trying to condition myself to stop being in the past and stop being in the future and like be right here right now. So for some people who are listening to this and you're maybe intrigued, that might be the first step. Just come to today. For real. Yeah, the, it, it's so first, like what a great insight, like that through the, the first introduction of mindfulness is that like judgment just comes in, right? Like it, I, you didn't say, hey, I'm really looking to be judgmental right now. Like it's just <laughs> something that showed up, right? Mm-hmm. But this idea of like, how do we start showing up and how do we show up for today? Like you used a mantra for me, I used something called a loving kindness meditation at first, like that, that was uh, a concentration practice. And, you know, that practice helped calm a jittery mind and it opened a door to opening up to this, but really like the key, I think that to being in any moment, like this moment is our senses you know, because the senses, no matter, you know, what sense it is, it's always in the moment. Like if you're smelling something in the future, that's, a, that's, a, you know, like, that's okay. a hallucinogen. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Wait, what are you taking? Like, it sounds right. pretty interesting. You know, like the, this idea of like, can I connect with listening? And I, I say listening specifically because listening already implies a receptivity. You know, that we're, we're not, we don't have to go out to listen. Listening comes to us. And, you know, you may have experienced this in, in you know, having the chance to work alongside people, you know, as, as a clinician, is that, you know, sometimes that listening can create a sense of spaciousness, you know, that there, it, it's something that you almost feel. And it, it's amazing as soon as we get into that, because it's like, yeah, I, you know, we can get so caught up in our head and say like, oh, I've got to get present. I've got to get present. Ironically, you can't get out of the present moment. So like, like let's, let's look at that for a second. Yes. Like we can't escape the present. There is no escaping the present, which is, I think, so valid to say, no matter how hard we try. Yeah. <laughs> try to get somewhere else. And, and that's an interesting battle. So, well, what is it then if we're always in the present, but we don't think we are? oh, I have an idea of where I think I should be and I'm driving towards something. And as we're driving towards something, that desire is creating a goal and we're in pursuit of that. Now, you know, goals are great, you know, like we, you know, people have them in their lives, but when it comes to meditation, you know, this idea of stillness is connected almost with doing nothing. Now, doing nothing is a hard thing because as soon as, if I were to say to you, LaShonda, okay, we're going to sit down and do nothing. What do you think you're going to try to do? I'm going to try to do, do nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like you're going to sit there like, how do I do that? And Uh that's where that word practice really comes back. And it says, you know, I, I, I'm always kind of a beginner with this. I'm always learning more. I'm not ever, you know, as soon as you're an expert, I think you limit yourself in a certain way, you know? Agreed. And this idea of like, can I, can I just come back to thy senses and connect with what's here? And it's really, it's the doorway. 
I, I so relate. Um, and we can talk about this from all five of the senses, right? But I like listening to a practice I've developed over the last year um, is there is a, um, an area behind my office building that has a lot of trees, some tall grass, right? Not really a place you can walk into, but a place you can sit and observe. And there's a little picnic table right at the edge. And what I would try to make a habit of doing is walking back there, sitting back there and just listening. What's so interesting about listening is how our brain works is it will, if we had to listen to every sound, we'd be constantly overloaded. If we had to look at every sight, smell every smell. <clears throat> so our brain's um, intention to keep us alive and safe and pain avoidance and all of those things, <clears throat> excuse me, um, serve to dull and kind of take our direct attention away from many of the things that our senses would pick up. And so part of the, the mindfulness is just taking enough time to open yourself to the things that are there, but you're not paying attention to. There are times when like, you'll hear like birds chirping outside your window. They didn't just start it they didn't just start chirping <laughs> when you notice they've been chirping the whole time, exactly. you know, wind blowing. It didn't just start because you were listening, you know, all of these sounds, people passing. And so I would sit and I would be amazed at how many sounds I could begin to differentiate, like when I actually just sat and allowed them to enter not sat and tried hard to listen that's the key <laughs> like I wasn't actively going like okay I want to hear what bird no it was just allowing the sounds to come in and the rustling of the wind and then you start to pick up like there are probably two or three different kinds of birds out there not just quote birds chirping you know and you start to open yourself up to allow what is to enter it's, it's amazing, amazing practice. You're, you're throwing out some of my favorite words here, like allowing, you know, this idea of allowing is something that we don't want to give ourselves. And we don't want to give ourselves the, the chance to feel things that don't feel good. We, we don't want to allow ourselves to even get to know that yet. There's, there's such beauty there when we do. And I, I want to, because it's what I do, come back to trauma, right? Because part of what trauma does is it hyper-focuses our senses on danger mm -hmm. so that we can be prepared. Because now that the brain and body know that some tough stuff can happen and hurt us, it is hyper-focused on making sure that we don't have to feel that again. And while I am very appreciative of our body's survival nature and the strategies that we developed and how resilient we are often becoming in the midst of them, it also closes us off to so much in the name of survival. So some of our trauma resolution and some of our resilience building is taking back some of the things that have been shut down in safe spaces. And right. so that I think can be helpful because when a person who's been through a lot of tough stuff, you might be hearing this and going like, man, like, I, I don't do that. Why? There's nothing wrong with you. You're a human. 
Now we just have to open up to the multitude of things that our humanity can offer us that we're just unaware of. I, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm going to put a plug in for your episode on polyvagal theory. You know, like, first of all, great. Like, it's one of the many that I've listened to, and I love that one. Uh, you know, but this idea that, like, actually, like, when our, when our body's tuned up that way, you know, that after it's experienced danger, that's not our fault. It's a mechanism that is playing out. And that mechanism is just doing its thing. You know, it, it's picking up messages and responding. But so often we get caught in a story like, why am I this way? You know, why am I the one who, you know, like does this? And we don't, we don't say like, well, I don't have a relationship with my body. Just clearly see that this is more like just something that's like digestion almost. That it's just playing out as a natural function. Absolutely. And I, I truly believe, and I, I try to help people see this perspective, that once we understand what our body is trying to do, mm -hmm. we can have so much empathy and compassion for our bodies because it's not trying to hurt us. We just understand that it is trying to achieve something. And once we get that, we can aid it in doing that instead of working against it. When that heart rate starts to go up and I'm jittery and I'm moving, we might call it anxious. And I recognize that part of what my body is doing and communicating is, I don't know, I feel like I might need to run or I need to fight. Something is going on. Then I go, ah, so now that I know that, are there things that I can look at or smell or taste or hear or feel with my skin that can help my body in this moment know that it actually doesn't have to run and fight? Can I deepen my breath to communicate to my body that I'm safe and I'm okay? So there is a relationship here we're talking about, people. Like, it is a relationship with our body. John's shaking his hands. Yeah. He, he's feeling <laughs> me. He's feeling me. What you got to say, John? <laughs> no, it, that's it. You know, and that, that's kind of like part of like the current momentum for me in my life is that this idea that you know, can we build a relationship that is based on kindness, you know, with ourself? Can we, can we meet these things in a way where we're not trying to destroy them or get rid of them? You know, it, it's more, can we open to them and meet them in a way that allows them to relax? exactly it. And I believe language plays a very big part in this, like how we, what we are saying about this relationship. So when people say to me, I really got to learn how to control my emotions. That, that's a, that's a flag for me. I won't give it a color, but it's a flag, <laughs> a flag that starts waving. Um, and an another, another thing that sends up a flag with me is when people say, when they deal with people, I have mm. to deal with my kids. I have to deal with this customer. So I'll use those two examples. One, our emotions are not present for you to control. And I would suggest that the struggles that people who are trying to control their emotions are having is because you're trying to control them. Uh, exactly. Emotions are data points. They're information. They are that, that, that literally is it. It is providing you with information. And if we treated it like information, huh? There is a data, it's literally when, so I'm in Ohio, you're in New York, it's cold, okay? I would love to live somewhere 
that did not get above 60 degrees ever. I do not, right? But when I look at a thermometer that tells me it is 27 degrees outside, it would make no sense for me to try to control that thermometer. No berate, sense. Th berate the thermometer, like get mad at the thermometer, tell the thermometer to go away when all it is is providing data. This is the temperature outside. It didn't make the temperature outside, it's reporting it. Our emotions can serve as a thermometer. It's giving you a data point. It's telling you information. So why are we spending so much effort trying to control something that really is just trying to inform us? I, you know, that, and that's the big question, right? Like, I, I love your analogy there of like the thermometer. Uh, I do know people actually that will argue with the weather. You know, I, I think- I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like I can't believe it. Like, what's there not to believe? Actually, you know, this is this is definitely happening. But you know, it, it's I think that it speaks to a resistance within us. You know that, and you know, I think that this is like the biggest barrier when it comes to working with emotions is that sometimes like we can be resistant to them. You know, in a way that's we may not even cognitively recognize. And you know, this resistance actually creates, uh, it builds their reinforce, reinforcements, you know, as you're saying, and it is, it's like this control issue that is keeping us from allowing emotions to move through. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, but I, I think the movie that got it right was Inside Out, you know, if you. Yeah. Oh, I really like that movie. Yeah. I, I, this idea of just like, well, these things are here and they're, and they're meant to be, to be experienced and they're, they're informing the whole team so to speak, mm -hmm. the team of you. Yeah, I love that. And so to my second example is when people deal with people. Mm. So when we talk about kindness, right? What do you deal with? We deal with problems. We deal with bad stuff. So we'll have people who don't necessarily mean this intentionally, but they'll say, I, I this happened, <clears throat> I've, I've had this period, but it happened to me uh, a few weeks back where I was mailing off my book at the post office and, you know, like you have to say this certain thing, like it's media or they charge you something different. And I went to a different person to check out and they were charging me a different price. And the woman that I had worked with before was there. And so the person asked the woman a question and she's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do that. Cause see, I dealt with her before. Yeah. I remember dealing with you. Mm. And I remember thinking you didn't deal with me you engaged me. Think about how different life would be if we stopped dealing with people and we start engaging with people. Think about how different we treat ourselves if we had to stop dealing with ourselves, and we start lovingly engaging ourselves. So we talk about kindness, which I am excited to just talk, let's talk kindness. We're sometimes expecting people to have an outwardly kind relationship with others when they haven't built that inwardly kind relationship with themselves. Oh, so they're pulling from what? Well, from, from what well are you expecting people to engage kindly when they don't have a reserve built up because they haven't engaged with themselves kindly? Exactly, exactly, that's exactly it. 
I, you know, I, I, I relate to that so much because it's like this idea of, you know, I, I, it's like when the teachers tell kids to calm down, you know, like you need to calm down. Kid, kids never felt calm his whole life, you know, like, where's he going? Yeah. Like what, what are we asking him to do here? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's this piece of like, can we actually, you know, make peace with our feelings? You know, like it, it, when someone has to deal with someone, like there's an implication there that like, actually there's an emotional burden that, you know, they may be experiencing, but instead of looking internally and just being like, oh, you know what? Like I'm feeling a little bit, I'm feeling a little bit something here, you know, whatever it may be. It's like, it gets directed outward and that person takes the blame for our internal experience. All the time. We cast so much blame on other people. And think about this. If I build a practice where I learn to use my emotions and bodily sensations as points of data, then I have an awareness to do the same for someone else. Mm. So that then when I see a manifestation of what's happening in their body and internal experience, I don't have to jump to the most convenient narrative, which is usually they're, you know, they're an awful person or something's wrong with them. But I have built a practice to go, huh, I can become curious instead of judgmental. I wonder what's going on there. Or just have this awareness that something is going on is a good first step. But we, we can only build that capacity for empathy and kindness and understanding by practicing it with ourselves, which is this very rooted starting point that then allows it to emanate outward. Similarly, our, our shame and our anger and our frustration that we throw outward is because that is what's the spring well within us. Exactly. I mean, that, that is so it, right? Like that, I mean, that, that is, that is like, if, if we can turn toward that and learn to actually meet it, I mean, take everybody off the table. We just do it for ourselves, you know, like that is a worthwhile venture, you know, but like, you know, this idea of like, how do we offer kindness into the world? You know, like I, we, you, like, like you just said a moment ago and, and similar to myself, these are things that we have learned how to do. It wasn't, it was not automatic, you know, mm-hmm. and actually, you know, there were times where, you know, I felt like I was better at it. I got hurt by people and I had to relearn it, you know, like it was something that I had to return to. So it, you know, there can be times where it feels like it's lost, but I think it can come back as well. But that's, that's the work, you know, it's, it's not about, look, I've got a great resume or, you know what, look, everybody on LinkedIn loves me. I, I, you know, I mean, that would be cool, admittedly, like, it'd be cool to be like a LinkedIn influencer. Uh, but that's, that's not the real work that I'm trying to do with the short life that I've got. I, I, yes, 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 and yes. You know, I, I said recently, um, I came to this conclusion that I do believe is true. I believe other people would say it's true. And I want it to essentially be my legacy, which is I want to leave people better than I find them. Mm. And, mm. and I, so I, en- I endeavor. And what that does is it releases this expectation that that has to mean anything other than being kind mm. and being an embodiment and manifestation of unconditional love and acceptance. And, and so that meets people right 
where they are everywhere. And I, I endeavor for any person who comes in contact with me, whether we're in a 14 year relationship like you and I, or whether we pass each other in the post office for after that connection has left for that person to be better than they were before I first encountered them. And I also realized that I don't necessarily need them to have the conscious awareness of it either. That, so that means I'm not looking for people to go, oh, you're awesome, or this is, I want their bodies to feel more calm and at peace. I, I want their minds to slow just a little bit. I want them to be able to take a deep breath that they didn't even know they needed just because we're standing in close proximity to each other at this point, which is six feet, not too close, y'all. <laughs> when this is being recorded, we are still in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, but but that, that, I believe that that is kind of what we're talking about. And what I recognize that if that is a true aspiration of mine, that there is inner work that I am constantly doing and, and that but that sounds so active sometimes it's a it's an inner surrendering absolutely that i need to do in order to be able to accomplish that goal uh you said so much and all of it was so so right on you know for me like this this idea of like i don't need the other person to know but maybe their nervous system knows you know like maybe maybe That's that it. you know like because like it's picking up that you know hopefully I to use the modern phrase hopefully it's picking up what I'm putting down you know and like this <laughs> this idea of like you know I, I, I'm, I'm putting these contributions out there and whether or not someone actually receives them or not you know it's not that big of a deal but it is a worthwhile practice you know and I think that like you know the more that we influence the world in that way the more opportunities there are you know for things to really change you know and as long as we're caught in reactivity, like if our whole species is caught in reactivity, guess who's not getting any better? You know, like it, us. Ooh, yes, us, the whole species. So, John, let's talk specifically about Kindly Said and yeah. your organization that I think is so needed. I'm so excited that, well, one, you exist as a human, but that you have just yeah, created this. So talk to us a little bit about what Kindly Said is and, and how you got here. Well, I, I, I'm glad to hear you're excited about it. Thank, first and foremost, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, I, when it comes to Kindly Said, I, I have, uh, I, you know, my, my education has been in communications and in, uh, you know, mental health counseling. And, you know, somewhere along the way, I, I got to go through a train the trainer program that I think you might be familiar with uh, for, for therapeutic crisis intervention. And, you know, that taught me a little bit about things like uh, intonation, you know, like the tone of our voice and, you know, like the way that we're communicating beyond words. And I, I think all of that has had an influence upon me. But, you know, I, I've been looking for a contribution to the world that felt personal, that was heartfelt, and was needed. And kindly said, answered those questions for me. It, it was an opportunity to say, you know, what if kindness is the gateway for you know many of the things, both internally and in the world. And so when I looked at my own experience with you know, my own traumas, which, uh, you know, like I, I, I've had my share. I, I don't even know if you know, like during, you know, the time that we worked at St. Joe's, which was not a place that I, I would describe as peaceful. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was also, you know, I, unfortunately I got mugged 
you know? I and, do remember. Yeah. And so, and I was reading Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger, right? But I was only like halfway through and I was like, man, you know, what are the chances that I'm reading this, you know, when this happens? Why can't I read a book on winning the lotto and win the lotto? Like, I mean, right? like do, do books have this much power? <laughs> but, you know, I, I I had to learn to make peace with like some of the things that like uh, you know, had happened to me. And, you know, there was a, a lot of willfulness in my own practice for a while that was trying to overcome, that was trying to get through, that was trying to get to the end of whatever this road I thought I was on. But the moments that really worked for me were, you know, the moments that were, to use the word that you mentioned just a moment ago, were using surrender and, you know, meeting things in a kind way. And as I did, I, that relationship that also word you just used a moment ago started to form. And I learned that even these parts of myself had a voice. Now that can sound like a little bit weird and it, it is especially weird if you start announcing it out loud to everybody. However, as you get to go on this inner journey, you start to see that they have a voice that's very childlike, you know, and that, you know, they're expressing themselves in a way and really what they're looking for is to be included and be heard. And that usually allows them to calm down. Kindness is the doorway for that. You know, it, it's not going to get there any other way, I don't think. And so that reflects, a, you know, a big piece of kindly said, the, the internal piece. And for the record, anyone who has followed even one or two episodes will know I talk about our inner children all the time. So they're getting quite used to hearing about those voice, those parts of us having voices. But I have not explicitly said you might not have one go around saying that out loud. So thank you, John, for that caveat um, <laughs> for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. I mean, not everybody, uh, you know, is, is up to speed on that just yet. So you very know. true. <laughs> it's, it's good to good to have some uh, mindfulness around that but the other piece is just like how do we interact in the world you know like what are we offering to people and how are we communicating and you know just the way that we deliver messages is something that is if we're thoughtful about it you know can have a tremendous impact on people you know I, I think if I were if I were to say to you like right now I love you versus if I were to say man I love you like same words, like different message, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think a lot of people don't know necessarily about that. And you know, there's ways that we can bring in things that are actually, if we look at it, are consistent with our values. And and I think that's like the I have a I have a course coming up on finding your authentic and kind voice. And you know, I, I wanna make a quick plug for that because I, I I'm I'm a little proud of it because, yeah, you know, I think it's been something that I've looked to find, like, what is my voice? And, you know, I've met the people who are saying, who say things like, I'm just being honest, you know, and do you, do you hear Keeping that? Keeping it real. Yeah, Keeping right. it on it. Yeah, right. Like, and I'm like, something's missing for me, at least. Yeah, it may work perfectly well for them. But what's missing for me is that doing it that way issues a break in a relationship, you know, where I'm looking for union and harmony, you know, like if I'm just doing it that way, it doesn't bring in my values, right? Like my values of those relationships. And so I have this idea about integrated authenticity. It's not just about emotionally, like, I'm just going to put it out there, you know, 
It's, it's about, hey, I know my values. I know my truth. I'm going to bring those together and say something that can be heard in a way that respects me and respects you. I have the perfect example of this. I literally was just talking about this morning. Really? Uh, yes. So I went and got a COVID test, um, the kind where they scratch your brain with a long Oh, intrusive object, that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get to the place that's kind of a walk-in. You don't need an appointment. Uh, things are very socially spaced in the, the waiting area. When I get there, there's one woman who's already there. I walk in, the woman who is taking information uh, is looking for some, doing something. She says, okay, just have a seat. I'll call you back up. No problem. So then a third woman uh, walks into it. And for context sake, I think things that matter is it was maybe the middle-aged African-American woman who was already there. I walk in, which can y'all believe it? Like I could also be qualified in that middle age category, right? Like as I was talking, I was like, no, that can't be right. So there's me. <laughs> and then there is an older white woman who walks in who um, I would say was in her 60s. She walks in and the woman who was already there in, in her voice, the tone, the volume in a space that no one was really talking broke through like a sledgehammer. And she goes, but you're still wearing that mask wrong. I'm just saying. Oh no. And this is what she says to this woman who's just walked in. <laughs> so the comma IJS, the comma I'm just saying, is like, there's another flag. It's waving. I won't tell you what color, but it's waving, <laughs> right? And I, I just thought, because I was telling Jay this story this morning, because I forgot to tell him, and I'm saying, and, and so then she like says it again, and she's like, it needs to be over your nose. I'm not exaggerating her tone. It needs to be over your nose. You're not wearing it right, and she kept referencing the fact that I think she was, I think she said like, I'm a mail carrier, so I'm just saying. So I was try- still trying to figure out the relationship between <laughs> what you do as an occupation, and I'm just saying. And this woman, like, you could like, it startled all of us, and like you, you could see her adjusting the the mask a little, but the way it was just this whole thing. And I, I, my thought was even in the moment what were you trying to accomplish? Like if you were attempting to accomplish pointing out a person's failure and possibly uh, throwing some shame at them and proving that you know how to do it right, then like totally you achieved all of those things. If you were attempting to point out an error in hopes that a person would fix it for their own health and someone else's, miss that mark. And I remember thinking like, how different that encounter could have been had she said, excuse me, ma'am, like, I just want to let you know, like, the most effective way to wear your mask is to make sure that it's covering your nose so that you're protected and other people are protected. Totally. I mean, what are we trying to do? So when I hear you talking about, like, you literally, and I want you to talk very specifically about the services you offer in your workshop, because that's it. You have this thing, like this idea or this thing you're trying to communicate, that it matters. Like I now, what I heard from the woman speaking, I didn't jump to the conclusion. Uh, uh-uh, uh, she's so rude. No, I went. That triggered her sense of safety. She's already here for a COVID test. Okay, so there I don't know, you know if that. And for me, I was just there because you know I was doing a thing and I need. I'm proving just like everybody else that I'm negative. She could have had, I get that it triggered this sense of fear or alarm or concern, 
And I heard that, but how do we help people get from that space to a space where they can, can effectively and authentically yet kindly communicate what they're trying to communicate? And I feel like that is like what Kindly Said is all about. It is all about that. It, you've nailed it. That you want to come work for me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My boss totally won't let me. Okay, that's okay. master. Well, you let me know if that changes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, so that's it, right? First, I think that we need to end our war on our own feelings. Like we need to stop that war, and like we need to recognize that in that moment, that person was feeling feelings, and if she if she could recognize that, you know, it wouldn't have responded. I think it wouldn't have driven the response that was kind of power oriented, you know, let me like try to exert some shame or, you know, that's going to modify your behavior. So, you know, the first step is a, a mindful step to say, okay, you know what, like, I'm, I'm not feeling that great about this. Recognize that now, how do I deliver my message, you know, that needs to be delivered. And yeah, you know, if we, if we go the route where we focus exclusively on someone else's behaviors, Guess who's going to get defensive? I, you know, I think even me, if, if like, you know, somebody said something about that, I'd be tempted to be like, oh, you don't like, you don't like how I'm doing that? Oh, okay. You know, how about I do some other stuff you don't like? Like, mm -hmm. like that reaction, like, can come out of me pretty quickly. I don't, I don't do it, but, you know, I feel it, you know, like, I, like, I, you know, I can feel that response when someone shames me. And, you know, so how do I meet those moments? Maybe I'll shift the conversation there. Is that like, oh, you know what, like, I'm, I'm feeling like this contraction in my chest, you know, or my abdomen, wherever it may be. And then I may even feel reluctant about it, but I can say, all right, you know what, right now, I'm worried, you know, I'm worried, you know, about getting sick. And if you wouldn't mind pulling up your mask, you know, that would be really helpful for me. And that reflects my needs. It doesn't tell the other person, you know, like that their behavior, that they're wrong, but that's about, you know, my needs. And uh, yeah, I think that that's something that we need to get better about. And Kindly Said focuses on that. It's about, you know, identifying our needs and communicating them in a way that people actually can hear. Absolutely. And, and even to be fair, even the example I gave of what she could have said was still on the more polite version of you still telling somebody what to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. It still didn't address the thing that's happening. And what's interesting about my position as I sat there watching this play out, and I would later recognize that the woman behind the counter was having a difficult time locating the first woman's insurance and da da da. You know, what I, what I realized was a part I could play in this whole thing was to smile at the lady who's sitting down to, to fill out her papers, who already is flustered and learns that like she wants the rapid test, but it's not covered with insurance and it's $101 or something. So now she's like, oh, let me call my husband. You know, she's going through this whole thing. And here's the thing. She keeps trying to pull up the mask, mm. which shows me like, it wasn't this willful thing that she was doing, but it was either how it was on or the, the way that fit, that it wouldn't stay. So you just notice that. So, you know, I'm wearing a mask, but you can see someone's eyes when they smile. And so I just smile at her, right? But I also am re recognizing that the woman who's further on the other side is she still is, so it's just taking deep breaths. And when I go back up to the lady, I'm very, you know, I'm not just transactional with her. I try to be a little relational. How are you today? Right? So I think there are these everyday things that we can do 
One is how do I how do I move beyond just having transactional interactions with people, which is you give me something, I give you something, you get out of blah blah, right, but just right. inserting some humanity into that, and and I, I think that that can go a long way. John, what strikes me about um, you and kindly said in this practice is, you know, and this is no disrespect, but I feel like you are practicing and living this out in one of the most complicated places to do so. John lives in New York City, <laughs> okay? <laughs> he lives in New York. And so it's like, I re- I've been to New York as a guest or, you know, whatever, tourist a few times. Last time has been quite a while, but it is a fast pace. Go, you know, and it's, it it's, the fact that you're practicing kindness, slowing down in stillness in a place that prides itself on being the city that never sleeps, I think is fantastic, phenomenal, and must be a very good place to build the muscle. Well, I, 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 I love that you said that. You know, I think New York has been interesting is that New York has allowed my heart to open in ways that I, I would never would have imagined, but I've tailored all my stuff to be at a New York pace. And so that we've got, you know, it, I've got kind of a therapy light service that I'm calling personal consulting. I, moving away from coaching and stuff like that, where it implies like some different power differential, mm-hmm. you know, like personal consulting is like, you know, here's someone to collaborate with. We're going to quickly problem solve some stuff and we're going to come back and touch base with what's important right here. And we've also got the therapy side of stuff to, to go more in depth, but this idea of like, how do we do it? when we're faced with like this drive where, you know, New York is moving fast, you know, and that, yeah, I think New York has an unfair reputation that, that New Yorkers are unkind. It's just that we're all really quite busy, you know, and Mm -hmm. and we're we're moving fast and we have, no one's like, Hey, I'm chilling, but we actually have time on the trains, you know, you know, we've got times in our interactions, but this idea of stillness, as we get to know it, it's immediately available. It's not, we don't have to think about it in a way that says like, oh, I've got to build up this level of concentration. The more we become familiar with it because awareness is always on, it's just right there. And, you know, we can be like, oh, oh, look, here it is. And we just need a little bit of time to get to, to get to know it. I, you know, I recently came across this social media thread, which was talking about like West Coast, East Coast, and how on the West Coast, they're nice, but not kind. And on the East Coast, they're kind, but not nice. Mm. And it was just this very interesting that like, I was like, I can see this. Like, you know, over on the West Coast, they were saying, these are people who lived in the perspective places. Say like, over here on the West Coast, you know, we'll, we'll smile at you and go like, oh, like you got a flat tire. Oh, that must be so difficult for your day and keep walking. In New York, they like, oh my God, you're, you're taking up too much time. Let me help you fix this tire so you can go about your business. And I, I thought it was such an interesting way to look at the nice versus kind kind of dichotomy. So people who are listening to you and they may be interpreting what you're saying is, oh, I need to be nice to people. What would you say to that? Uh, that's not really it. And, and I'm not really talking about anything forced here. You know, this idea of like, if it feels fake and authentic, inauthentic, it's not going to last, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, it, it, it's okay to be nice, but this idea of actually like, you know, being kind is affording grace for people, you know, nice to me can be a little bit superficial, you know, and that it, it like that example you use, ah, it's too bad about your day. <laughs> <laughs> but kind means, uh, you know, I'm going to be invested. And New Yorkers are actually kind in that way. If you need help, New Yorkers are quick to help out. 
you know, like they will be there for you. I've experienced that. um, And I appreciate that. So John, before we officially wrap up, I I didn't want to leave without telling another one of my favorite stories with you. And I I don't know that I've actually told you this, but we've had this, (laughs) we have this moment once and it has come back to me on so many occasions in my life. And it was so powerful. So I, I don't remember the year, but I will say that like back when we worked together, the position I had, which was like kind of a direct care position, there weren't many avenues out of that position. There are more options now than there were definitely back then. And so I had attempted to get out by going the group leader route and did not, was not able to. And then this opportunity opened and I went for this position and I got it. So I'm excited, right? And then the closer I get, I started to doubt myself. So think about it, we're in Altercrest Hallway, we're in the records room back when Peggy was back there and we're in there and you're in there doing records or whatever. And I'm talking to you and Peggy and I'm just like, what if the person who hired me, like, I've never done this before. Like, I, I don't know, maybe the, you know, I'm just nervous. And I just remember you said to me, the question was, oh, so, so how many transitions have you failed at? And I remember being like, well, none, you know, and like, it was just this moment. He, and that's all he asked me. And then this kind of like John or, hmm, you know, <laughs> that he does. And it's, it's his tone. He, I don't even think he looked up from what he was doing. It was just this, this seed in this moment of like bringing me to the present, right? I'm all like in the future, I'm going to fail. And he's like, right now, like, you know, and I have made numerous transitions, including my own business and doing these things and I will have moments where it's like I I'm future failing myself and mm-hmm. I will hear John say so how, how how many transitions have you failed at and it's like it comes back to me and it's like I smile and I'm just like right now like I I'm equipped to do things that I'm called to do and and I'm reminded of that in John's voice very frequently. So I just wanted to share that with you because I, you might not at all remember the interaction, but I was positive that you didn't know the impact that that, that moment had. And, and you know, speaking of impact, I feel very heartwarmed in knowing that. So I, I, I'm really grateful that you shared that with me. I, you know, sometimes you think like, am I just annoying people? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like maybe not that day. <laughs> no, no. So John, like literally we could talk for hours. I know I say that with a few people in my episode, but like we could do a five hour podcast for y'all, but we know that, you know, attention spans run a little shy now. So in, in the effort and endeavor to wrap up, John, how can people find you? I want them to know as much as they can about Kindly Said and the services and workshops you provide. So how can people reach out and find you? Yeah, it's really easy. Kindlysaid.com, uh, spelled just like it sounds. You can reach me there. My email is john at kindlysaid.com. And I, I, you know, again, with the New York pace, I'm pretty quick at responding. So feel free to reach out. But we, the website's pretty transparent. You can see all the stuff that's, that's there. You know, I think the one thing I didn't mess mention is that I have a message enhancement service. Please talk it's, about it because I was about to bring it up. This is so dope, y'all. I'm for real because some people need help with this. Well, it, it, myself included, like when at times, you know, like there are times when I get stuck and I think this is true for a lot of people. And it's like, I don't know what to say. 
And, you know, at that point, it's like, well, what can we bring in? You know, like what, what resources can we help out? Because sometimes people, you know, will neglect the things that they uh, need to actually take care of. And then that creates a whole host of other problems. So this service, go ahead. Were you gonna I say was going to say, so tell them exactly what the service is. Yeah. So the service is, you know, I, I've used specific strategies from conflict management to create a, a short assessment should take nothing more than a few minutes. And from that, I'll help you to create the message that speaks your truth in a way that is strategic and thoughtful. Well, and kind too. And kind. So think about this. You know that conversation you know you need to have with a parent or a sibling or a former partner or your children or a supervisor. Like we have these conversations we know we need to have, but like John said, we're we're avoiding them because we don't know what to say or how to say it or how to effectively communicate what's inside without being blah, 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 blah. John literally offers a service that will help you formulate that conversation or response or whatever that is to have. Are y'all kidding me? Like I need y'all to be as excited about this as I am because (laughs) imagine how enhanced relationships could be if people just knew how to communicate their, their words. He's not making it up for you. John's not responding on your behalf. He's helping you to formulate what you're trying to communicate. And I just think that that is so valuable. And you know how I know other people think it's valuable because we call in our cousins and our best friends and, and we talk into people and the, other, the number of people who talk to me randomly, right? Especially when we were not in social distant experiences This is what they're essentially asking for. So now we're saying, here's a service that literally will help you do it. Yeah, that's, yeah, I love your enthusiasm because that's how I feel about it too. It's this idea, it's like, yeah, we can get over this hurdle together. And like, we can find your best message. I love it. Yeah. I'm so excited. So I like, don't want this to end, but at some point, you know, I'm gonna have to have you back and we'll talk and collaborate and do all of that. But as we are finishing, can you please share with us a fun, little known or interesting fact about yourself? Yeah, I, well, I guess, uh, I think I would tell you about the fact that I use mountains to solve problems. You know, mountains in this case are not metaphorical, they're literal. Sometimes like, uh, you know, I'll ask a question at the start of a hike and I'll walk up a mountain and I'll find an answer by the end of it. So it's kind of a contemplative approach. Wow. Yeah, that's why I'm not getting some of my answers, huh? I ain't climbing no mountain. So <laughs> duly doubted. No, thank you, John. John, from the bottom of my heart, so good to spend time with you. I miss you, but I'm glad that we're able to connect in this way. And thank you so much for taking time to, to share so much kindness and warmth and, and wisdom with my listeners. Uh, I miss you too. It, it's been a real gift being here. Thank you, Lashonda. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, and as always to you, my listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you'd like to reach out to me, if you have suggestions for content or guests, please head over to the website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets, and don't forget to check out our new Instagram page for just the podcast. That's the underscore L-O 
LOL underscore pod. And of course, don't forget to give us that five-star rating, write a review, share the podcast with your friends. Until we connect again, you all be well.